right. Finally, the day has come that we get to vibe a little bit more. Thank you for coming on Ceremony Circle, Tracy. Thank you so much, Allison. I'm so happy to be here. Yeah, I've been wanting to get to know you more for quite some time. I know we share so much soul family, community, friends all over, and I've been following your work. And I love that you seem to go into these nooks and crevices and areas that feel different and you bring a unique essence and teaching into the space. So just want to recognize that firstly. Mm, thank you. I appreciate hearing that. And I'd love to hear how you feel it's different too. Mm. Yeah, I will share more of that. And one thing that stood out to me regarding what I just said with your newest book called The Luminous Self, I know that you have another book called Radiant Rest. Is that right? That's right. Mm -hmm. Well, let me touch on that first, and then because we're, we're going to mainly focus on the new and luminous self. But Radiant Rest, I just thought that, that was so unique because when it was published and out into the world, and correct me if I'm wrong, because this is just my peripheral take, but it seemed to come out at a time where, especially our culture over here in the U.S., was still so in the freaking boss babe. <laughs> yes. Take over the world, hustle, hustle, get it. And Radiant Rest is obviously the antithesis of that. And so that was one thing I was meaning when you seem to like get into these crevices, these kind of like hidden nooks and share unique medicine. Cause at the time that wouldn't have been a popular topic. No, you know, it was so interesting because in my circles of, you know, meditation and yoga nidra, yoga nidra, the practice of conscious sleep, which is what the book is about and more, mm. it's becoming more and more popular. But in the mainstream, people were like, well, I don't have time to lay down. I'm not going to lay down. I'm not going to rest. And then the pandemic happened mm. and it was, the book came out in March of 2021. So I feel like in that space, we all were in a global sadhana where we had, we were locked down and some of us did decide to rest. And when we started resting, we actually noticed how exhausted we really were. That exhaustion and the awareness of the exhaustion has really continued since the pandemic. So now I feel like it's starting to come into the mainstream and people are really embracing it. And of course, there's other authors like Trisha Hersey and Octavia Rahim that are also talking about rest and many people who've been talking about rest for a long time, but we're starting to really listen. Hmm. Yeah, yeah I, I, I love it. So much came up when you were just sharing that. I myself was one of those people, you know, coming from New York City and like the regular listeners here for Ceremony Circle have probably heard this a million times, so I won't go down the rabbit hole, but just like my background is like, I'm a Capricorn, you know, the goat that never stops climbing the mountain. I used to be like a national champion endurance athlete again, just like, I mean, literally pushing beyond, beyond, beyond capacities, measures in every way, whether it was career, athletics, the whole thing. And so, yeah, I definitely, the timing of my book release of Animal Power Book and Deck was really intriguing as well. I literally moved in with Luke in LA the weekend that all opened up and started. I mean, I'm not making it up the weekend my cat and I left New York, landed in LA, and that weekend it all started. And that same weekend was the weekend I officially signed my book deal. Oh, wow. And 
Yeah. And so then it just, I obviously spent my time writing, but then it was once I got done and officially handed that final manuscript in, I collapsed and crashed a hundred times harder than I had ever felt after any national champion race, after any other thing that I had exerted myself in my life. It was during that portal of time and after the book birthing that I had never known exhaustion like that. And I feel like I held it well and learned from it well and traversed it well. But there were definitely times where I said to Luke, like, is this okay or normal to be this exhausted? Because like, did I get Lyme disease somehow? Did I, I mean, I was just trying to sort out that level. And so that was an example that came up when you were sharing that collective sadhana, that collective rest and what a gift because it evoked for me. And then I'm going to let you share whatever's coming up for you, but it, it evoked for me this awareness that I was being led into like this semi-retirement place that thankfully I was able to walk into because I had gotten in partnership with Luke and he was holding a different space for me than when I was on my own in New York City and hustling. But like, it was a really trippy kind of upside down topsy-turvy time. Yeah, I'm glad that you spoke about it as a portal because I do think that it was a portal and that there was so much happening in the subtle realms that we were not aware of. There was so much grief and so much fear and so much doubt and so much unknowing, like just being in that portal of the unknown and all of that, we were all holding it, whether or not we thought we were holding it or not, we were all holding it. And I really feel like that portal was a rite of passage in some way for us to kind of move through and pay attention, right? Because we had a choice of either paying attention to what was happening and noticing, oh, I'm either moving into a new season of life or I need to change something about the way that I've been living. Mm -hmm. And I feel like a lot of us have done that. And when you talk about this idea of semi-retirement, it reminds me of the Hindu teachings and the four stages of life. And like the first season is the season of the student, and then it's the householder. And then the next one is the forest dweller. And it feels like that coming back to nature, right? It's like, oh, can I be in nature a little bit? And thankfully- we're able to and have the privilege to be able to access that. But I'm also noticing that people who are still living in the city are seeking more time in nature as a way of healing and kind of returning back to. Wow. Forest dweller, that one resonated. What's the fourth? What's after the forest dweller? The one after the forest dweller is sannyasin, which is renunciate. And most of us don't ever get to that stage, but maybe we do, you know, it's like, what's one aspect or thread of the enunciate? Like the renunciate is the one who gives up all the worldly possessions and just moves into the spiritual life. Oh, wow. (laughs) Oh, I'm like, (laughs) I felt the resistance to that one. Jesus, good Lord almighty. I was like, eh, never mind. I was like, oh, renunciate. That sounds, I, I feel like I could do that. When you said this part of the definition, eh. 
Uh, pump the brakes inside on that. Oh, wow, that is interesting. Cool. So one last little thing with radiant rest, and then we'll get back over to the lane that I thought we were going to, well, we still will mainly cover. But when you got clear on radiant rest, like, I guess I'm just curious, fellow author to author, was there any resistance with the publishing house or like, were people like, this doesn't seem to be the most marketable right now? Or what? was there anything with that? Oh. I love that you're asking this question. I think, first of all, spirit guided this entire journey. I was not in control of anything. Luminous Self was actually the book that I was pitching to publishers at the time. And I had a, fr a dear friend who I had went to her and I said, okay, which publishers do you think would be great for this? I want to write down a manifestation list. I wrote my list down with her help. And the next day I got an email from Shambhala in my mailbox, in my email, asking me if I wanted to write a book on Yoga Nidra. Whoa. And at the time I was like, no, I'm doing this other thing. And, you know, there are all these books on Yoga Nidra and this person's writing a book and this person is there and that book is out. And then I said, you know what? I feel the resistance. Mm. So let me pause. And my publisher at the time, my editor at the time said, just think about it. And I was going to Canada that weekend to teach a yoga nidra immersion. So I said, okay, I'm just going to sit with it. After the immersion, I had like seven people that came to me and said, so you haven't ever heard anybody talking about yoga nidra in this way. Do you have a book? Mm. No one had ever asked me that before. So I was like, okay, I universe, I'm listening. Yeah. yeah. I went back to them. I put together my book proposal for my Yoga Nidra book. I had to really think about what do I have to offer? And what I came to was that what I have to offer is how did I cultivate a relationship with this practice of Yoga Nidra that is more than just a technique? It's a state of consciousness. Yoga mm. Nidra is a goddess. And if I could write a book that would help people to cultivate a relationship with Yoga Nidra in all of her forms, then I feel like I have something to really say and something really to offer to the world. And that was the book that I wrote. Wow. I love that. And I didn't really write it. I just stepped out of the way and kind of let it come through. So I really feel like spirit was guiding that because the timing couldn't have been better, as you said before. Mm. And I feel like the timing for the luminous self is also the same. I don't think it would have, I don't think I could have written this book in the way that I have if I hadn't had the experience first with Radiant Rest. Mm. That is so beautiful and interesting. Yeah, it's such a testament to just living in that true devotion and just getting out of our own ways. And that's obviously, I mean, I know you know this, I'm just speaking to the fam sitting around the fire with us, that it's obviously the way we are of greatest service and obviously the way we're most aligned with our soul's mission and calling is, and that's how Animal Power came to be too. I was writing a book on surrender, the irony. I flew to Bali to write a book on surrender and in my first morning meditation, just hundreds, if not thousands of power animals, as far as my mind's I could see flooded that morning meditation. And they were all there, all of them. And just as a whole family heard, and they were like, that's not the book. It's a book with us. Wow. 
you know, as much as we think we know, we can never hear it too much about getting out of our own way. Mm. And I want to just say thank you for reminding me, right? It's like, because we need these reminders or it's too easy. Mm. Uh, forget about it. Yeah. yeah. So they all showed up and kind of came into the meditation. Yeah. It's similar, but very different to the hurting in of my guides on my divine intervention day. Like it was like the same all encompassing presence and feeling, but in obviously in different parts of my life. So the essence of the gathering carried a different tone and frequency, but yeah, they all came in because at that point we had been working together and cultivating trust in one another for many, many years. And so that relationship was already so you know, such a strong foundation and so intact. And it was the biggest dumb moment when they said, you're to write a book with us and to surrender the surrender book and let that go out the window. And I was just like, oh my gosh, of course it's this book. So anyways, let's pivot now to the one that will be coming out in just a few days, The Luminous Self. I love the cover, not really the color and just the whole essence of the cover really really grabbed me when I opened the box that it came in. So it's gorgeous. Thank you so much. Cause I have a little process that I've been doing with, with this particular artist from Shambhala, which is I give her a meditation to listen to before she comes up with the concept. Whoa. She just, I feel like she really encapsulated the feeling of the practices in the book. So I'm really happy with the cover. Yeah, it's gorgeous. It is so important. Again, I keep like it, but it's just an organic flow with my book, Animal Power. The art is so important. It has to be the embodiment of the teachings of the medicine. And yeah, there's a whole story. My artist lived in Brazil. He has since gone to the other realms. The animals were his last works of art while he was here on earth. And um, wow. and I just knew he was the one to capture the correct essence and embodiment. So that's really cool that you operate in the same way. So yeah, I guess if you could begin by just explaining a little bit to folks, what even is the luminous self? Just starting there. Mm. So the luminous self is this part of us that is in the heart, that is eternal. It is radiant and effulgent. It was there before we had a name. It will be there when we no longer have a body. It is the place of our deepest, deepest inner knowing. And it's something that I feel like as we get older, as things happen to us in life, we just forget, right? It's like the world wants us to have our awareness and our attention external and everything that we're seeking is inside. And the luminous self is there waiting for us to remember it. I felt like that was a journey just in hearing you explain it. I really felt it to the depths of my being. It really took me somewhere. It, it's so true. You know, God bless, goddess bless the allness, the totality of everything. And yeah, some of those aspects of the allness of just the constant bombardment of the distraction and the distortion and the attempts to confuse and take us away, you know, even in. I'm not trying to go down this rabbit hole, but you know, I've been in this path for long enough and right out of the gate. I mean, before my awakening, I was already in radio and television. And then when I had my divine intervention, was shown the visions of who I really am, what my radiant self, what my luminous self really is. 
and how I am to be of service with that, I was shown right away the balance of shamanism through media. So I've been merging and bridging both this whole time. And I have seen so blatant, you know, there were so many years earlier on where the media, there was an opening where media was just like, really had a craving to cover shamanism and cover the healing arts. And then, you know, and I am not a conspiracy theorist. It's just like, literally, I have lived it and witnessed it. Like there was a stark cutoff point where I don't know who it was up at the top that was like, we need to stop sharing about consciousness teachings and shamanism and the healing arts. And I really do feel that it was kind of like a top-down message because it went from me regularly getting requests, witnessing requests, regularly seeing people like us being able to share about these ancient ways and very mainstream publications to now you, like there are, I, I mean, occasionally the requests come in, but it's nothing like it was before. And I do feel that there are some people in the world that don't want us to be remembering what our luminous self is because if we are connected to that and one with that then we don't need all those external pickings and grabbings so anyways i'm just grateful that you're redirecting people back to their true nature because it is so imperative and I myself along the way really got disconnected from my true nature, my spiritual gifts, and it brought so much suffering, so much agony. And I would love for you to share, you have such powerful powerful stories in your book of moments where your truth just got shattered, if you could share a couple of those. Yeah. So, I mean, I think that the first thing I would say, because I was also in entertainment and I was a film producer for many years. And one of the things that I saw that I didn't relate to me, you know, sometimes you see something and then you're like, huh, but then you eventually have to turn it to yourself was this tremendous amount of abundance, but an extreme amount of spiritual poverty Mm. and a lot of sadness in the midst of all this abundance and all the fame, because there was just something that was missing. There was something that was empty. And I realized that that was a forgetting of who we were and also a forgetting of why we're here, right? And so to just pull the thread a little bit is that media is created to entertain. Media is created to distract. And the more that we're distracted from the internal processes, the land of our body and our connection to earth and nature, the more we are separated from our power. And so for me, I had an experience years and years ago when I was living in South Africa and I didn't know anything about meditation. I just was sitting on a balcony watching the sunrise, Table Mountain was in the distance The fog was rolling over. They call it a tablecloth, was rolling over Table Mountain. And the next thing I knew, I was just in this deep place of presence where it felt like I had the answer to every question and every worry that I had. 
And I just felt like it was a revealing of some kind, like it didn't come from outside of me. It was almost like the clouds that were moving across Table Mountain had suddenly like lifted away from my sight. Mm. And I was able to see and feel something so clearly and so presently. And I didn't know what happened. I went in and I told my roommates and they looked at me like I had 12 heads. (laughs) And then eventually I found one person, his name is Andoni. And he said, oh, I know exactly what happened to you. We're going to a bookstore. He took me to a bookstore and gave me Way of the Peaceful Warrior, gave me Celestine Prophecies, gave me Khalil Gibran. And I read all of these books and I realized, oh, there's something more. And I remember this something more from my dream life when I was a kid. Mm. I remember this something more from taking one of my mom's astral projection books and trying to figure out how to astrally project. I remember this. This isn't new. Somehow it's like in my bones. Mm. And that was what sent me on my journey for meditation because I wanted to find out what was more. And then, you know, I read the Yoga Sutras and I read Sutra 136, which is the sutra that talks about the space in the heart that is beyond all sorrow, beyond all conditioning, that is effulgent and luminous. And I wanted to know that place. Wow. Oof. It's there's you're such a beautiful orator like as you I get really swept away and then I'm like oh shit it's an interview I'm like in this journey when you start talking and then I got to reel myself in Hi, Soul Fam. If you listened to episode 114 of Ceremony Circle, then you know how deeply connected to and passionate about Kana plant medicine I am. Kana is legal. It is beautiful. It's a heart opener, and it is also known as the happiest plant on the planet. And it is now available to experience in a brand called Ka, a tingling, feel-good Kana supplement in both a tincture and chew form. And be sure to use code CEREMONYCIRCLE at checkout to get yourself a community discount. Kana is an empathogenic plant from South Africa that supports us in feeling the fullness of our aliveness, open-heartedness, and calm feelings around everyday stress. Ka chews and tinctures are handmade, they are safe, they are legal, they are non-addictive, and they invite a deeper connection with yourself and others. I have honestly, personally been so blessed to have been working with Kana the last few years, and I can't even put into words the love and joy and reverence it's brought into my life. So just head to ohmyka.com. That's ohmyka.com, ohmyka.com. And remember to use the code CEREMONYCIRCLE at checkout so you can get your Soul Fam discount. Now back to today's episode. So at that very end moment of your share, I got taken to, oof, and again, I could be wrong, but when I read in the book that really harsh experience that you endured with, well, actually it was felt like two part, the eggs and also your hair. Mm, yeah. And like, I just kind of got flashed there for a moment where here you were this 
luminous being, I feel probably still connected in a lot of ways to that essence and that truth. And I feel like your heart so, so exuberant and bright, and then you encounter and endure this experience that, oof, would want to make anyone just close themselves down and and shell up and hide because of the pain of that experience. And so I guess if you, whatever you wanna share around that and yeah, like how much of a monumental role did that play in in the luminous self being alive and then shutting down? Yeah, no, I love that question. So the part of the book that you're talking about is where I share that when I was in junior high school, some girls jumped me on the bus and they smashed eggs in my hair. And it was such a humiliating and embarrassing experience, especially for someone who was already kind of introverted and shy, but feeling as though there was nothing to really fear in the world. Mm -hmm. And when that happened, all of a sudden I felt myself closing down. It was like, oh, if I make myself invisible, if I make myself small, I won't be hurt because people won't see me. Right. If I take my glasses off, because I've been wearing glasses since third grade, then people won't make fun of me. And then of course, when I take my glasses off, now I can't see. I can't see. Now I'm not doing the homework. Now I'm getting dropped from my honors English. Now I'm almost failing French. Now I'm really becoming smaller and smaller and my light is dimming. I'm letting go of all the things that bring me joy. I'm letting go of all the things that are the expression of my radiance, my music, my clarinet, my violin, my voice is all getting shut down. And so it was almost as though the eggs being smashed on my head that I actually went into an eggshell. Because you shell. (laughs) I went into the eggshell to hide and to keep myself safe. And one of the things that I share in the book is that this these girls were making fun of my hair. And at some point I started pulling out my hair, which is this, they didn't qualify it back then at the time as a form of anxiety. It was more like, oh, this is a medical condition where your hair is just falling out, right? But the reality was, is that I had an anxiety condition where I was pulling my hair out. So I really wanted myself, I wanted to pull out the very thing. This is how I look at it. That caused the attack that caused the pain. Oh, that is so deep. Oh man. Cause like the roots, you know, Oh God. (laughs) (laughs) And so it wasn't until I started practice because this happened when I was around 11 years old. It wasn't until I started practice that the impulse to pull my hair out started to shift. Mm. And I was able to reverse that, which, you know, I've talked to doctors before, like dermatologists, and they're like, that's like nearly impossible to do. But this is really 
so important because we think about the rituals that we do unconsciously. And that was a ritual that was an unconscious ritual that kept bringing me back even 10 years later to the moment of being attacked. Mm -hmm. And so I had to create a new ritual for myself. I had to really start to unwind all of these things and what all of the ways of being that had happened because I was not expressing my true self. I had created a different personality that was based on pain. And that personality was based on, I'm going to protect myself. Yeah. And so these practices in the book are all these practices that can help dissolve the shell and help you to remember the radiance. Oh my God. Wow, that is so powerful. And I also found in the book the area because number one, thank you for this book and thank you for having it so practice rich. I that is another unique aspect. Like uh with animal power, with every with all the 100 animals, there's a power practice. I also am just such a believer and that deeper connection to the things we're saying and the words and so the reclaiming of power, it's so important. And I myself have just been on so many different layers of that journey from th so many different threads. Even recently, I won't get into the story now, but I have been on a couple month journey of rebirthing my birth story. And like when I tell you like the ancestral, the constellation work, the rebirthing my birth story work, it is the deepest, mm. most profound work probably of my life and many lifetimes, but it, how did you, just to give people a little context in one example, then we'll get into, I have listed some of the practices that felt very foreign and unique that I'd love to hear a little bit more about, but specifically with the story we're on right now, what was the ritual you did to reclaim your power? There was something you did with eggs later on, right? Yeah, I did. So once I realized the power of that moment, first I did a practice called Bichara, which is like a deliberation practice that brings you to the origin or to the source of something. And that's the timeline practice that's in the book. And when I got to the source of that something, which was the source of my suffering, mm. I was like, oh, I need to reclaim this egg moment. I need to reclaim this egg moment. I need to smash this egg on my own head Ooh. and make this a ritual of rebirth as opposed to the death of the little Tracy. And it just came. It wasn't even something I thought about, really. It was like, oh, this is what needs to happen. And so I waited for my husband to go on a trip. <laughs> I knew he was going on a trip. And I was like, okay, this is what's going to happen. I need to be naked. Mm -hmm. Just like I came into this world, and just like I probably will go out of this world, I need to be naked. I need to be raw. I need to be real. I need to see myself. And I did this ritual in my bathroom. I told one person that I was doing it as a support. Mm -hmm. And it felt like it was an immediate shift of wow. free in my being. Oh, my Lord. I mean, just picturing. Ooh, wow. Yeah, just picturing that oh my goodness um are you open to sharing one detail like i'm just curious as you how, how many eggs did you use and like 
I mean, I, I know you explained already the instant shift in frequency, but just yeah. like, I'm so interested in one other detail around the feeling and just, I don't know. It, I yeah. I love that you're asking me this question because I, I haven't talked about this. It's so first of all, I had a drum. Something mm. told me that I needed a drum. Again, it was just a knowing. So I, I really just started with the drum beat and I started to kind of sing and hum and that singing and that humming turned into a wailing. And then from the wailing, it turned into a roaring. And I had one egg and I took the egg and I smashed it on the top of my head and all of the yolk was running down and the tears were coming. And then it was almost like this fierce warrior in me just like woke up. Ooh. started to move and I started to dance and I started to scream. And it was just such an incredible release and reclaiming. And it felt ancient. Mm -hmm. It felt ancient. It was like, I have done this before. I have done this before. And I am just remembering how it's done. Oh, oh God. <laughs> and uh, I can tell you, my life shifted after that because I didn't want to be seen. So the idea of writing a book, the idea of sitting, being here, doing an interview with you, that was not even in the cards. That would not have even happened. Wow. Thank goodness you were willing that you got, you were open to receive that light bulb awareness of what to do, how to reclaim, and you were willing to sit naked and go there and recrack that egg, reclaim your power. It's like, I just want to share with the soul fam joining us. Oh, I just, I could get emotional over it. Like these moments are just the most imperative if we can just allow ourselves to be guided to where these nucleuses are for ourselves. And of course, every single human walking the planet will have a different nucleus, but me just emerging fresh out of this two, three month wild ass initiation web and rebirthing my birth story that pertained to smoke inhalation, pneumonia at just five, six weeks old, those tiny little newborn lungs getting filled um, with smoke, getting pneumonia, being put into an incubator. And like, I mean, I, my God, there's so much to it. But just one small thread that's emerged out of that is like, I then recently sat in a sacred incense ceremony and I hadn't con consciously connected the dot. I just knew I was supposed to go there. It's, it was far away. I actually didn't want to drive that far, but I was like, God, I can tell I'm supposed to be there. So I showed up and I was the only person in the ceremony that like the facilitator arrived in a kimono. And I just knew I'd never worn that kimono and I knew I was supposed to wear it. And my friend who was a facilitator was like, did you know that this is a kimono ceremony. I was like, no. And so, and, and I sat directly across from her. So there was already this whole wild thing going. And then when I got handed the incense, that first waft of smoke that went in, I was like, oh my God, I'm reprogramming. I'm repatterning the smoke. Yes. Now I'm using it as medicine, as healing. Oh my Lord. And so it's actually this, 
incense from Japan. And get this, there's only three, three ingredients in this and the, and the Japan incense where this comes from, like this is true medicinal incense. This isn't like the stuff that can like, whatever, gas right. off gas, whatever. I'm just, so the only ingredients in this are Arashiyama Co sandalwood. So a sandalwood is primary, then Borneo camphor and musk. And I, something on the way home. So my, my friend gifted me this because this, I started having these wild new life force. I was like, what was incense number two? Cause holy moly, it was this one. And I Googled on the way home. I was like, what is Borneo camphor? It comes from a plant that's nearly extinct. It's a rare plant species. It's almost gone from this planet. And its main healing is respiratory mm -hmm. rebirth. It's like yeah. healing for, for lungs and respiratory. And so I, she gave me this and I've just been, I worked with it this morning out in the yard on, on this solstice day. And like, I'm on the wildest journey. And so now I understand I'm a shaman of so many different capacities but now i am a, i know i am a smoke shaman and i know she's teaching me this incense ceremony and she had a wild journey and i'm going to stop in a second i i know this is your interview but it's just come i just no i love hearing it. this cuz it, it's all relevant yeah yeah and she when she came here to my home to pass the incense ceremony to me she was sharing that when she was young, her house almost burned down from a fire. So now there's two sisters sitting here working with fire and smoke and both of us deeply impacted and could have lost our lives from fire and smoke. And we're sitting together in this reclamation and already having business ideas and collaboration ideas as we come together with sacred fire and sacred smoke from this place of healing. And it's just, I just share that because like, this is what can happen when you let yourself get to the deepest rooted part of the healing. Yes. Yes. And this is all about deep listening, right? Because you could have had a different reaction of going into the ceremony and being like, oh no, right? So to be open and to be able to look to see where are the wounds, where are the pain, from the past and to be able to shift and reprogram is really important and having support, having the right support. Like you had the support of the person who was leading and that you trusted. So having the support is another really important factor. Oh, it's, I'm so glad you brought that in. After the whole incense ceremony was done, I actually, little five, six week old Allie asked the group, I was crying and I was like, I need to be acknowledged for what happened. I need to be acknowledged. And everyone in the group is like, you're acknowledged. We hear you. It happened. It's, it was real. And then Cass, Dr. Cass, the facilitator, um, ceremonialist, she came over and she looked me in my eyes and I was like, I need to hear it. Like, from you too, just you and I. And she was just like, I acknowledge you. And she just held me and I wept. And it just, yeah, the support piece for those that, yeah, have the proper bandwidth capacity to hold you in those deepest places is so important as well. Wow. Oh my goodness. Okay. So before we get to the closing ceremony, I would just love, and I'm not going to be giving away too much of the book because it is so practice heavy, but I'll give you a few of the ones that really spoke to me. And I'll just let you pick maybe two that you can elaborate on. I wrote down the Jibba Jabba. Mm. 
Yeah. That okay. one felt really intriguing. The, and I, I will not pronounce this right, but the uh, Abinefisha, Abinefisha. Abinivesha. Yeah, that. <laughs> and then, I mean, there's so much embracing. Like, I love the whole like death thing, the embracing transition, the death meditation, the dying gracefully. There's so many areas, but is there one that's really standing out? Yeah. I mean, any of the death meditations, I would say the ego is the thing that is resisting our deepest self coming forward. And it's not to say that we don't want to have a healthy ego because neither one of us would be sitting here talking if we didn't have a healthy ego, but we need to be able to see where our ego is limiting us. And the way that we can do that is to really explore these ideas of impermanence, right? It's like you and I are both closer to dying right now in this moment than we were when we started this interview. Mm. And it's not morbid to think of it, it's really freeing and empowering because we get to be really intentional then about the rituals that we want to do in our life. We get to be really intentional about how we want to spend our time and what it is and who it is that we want to spend our time with and how it is that we want to share our gifts with community because community is also another really important aspect. You just said the people in, in the group all came together around you and told you that they saw you, that it was real. We need to know who our communities are. So the death practices, I think, are really powerful. The jibba-jabba practice is a practice that I love to do. If we think about our monkey mind and all the worries and all the concerns and everything that we have, and we put ourselves in a room that's completely quiet you start to hear the mind. Mm. So the way that this practice goes is that you just kind of walk around your space in a circle, just shaking every part of your body, the legs, the arms, the head, the shoulders, and you say jibba-jabba, 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 jibba-jabba. And you allow yourself to just get rid of, without giving it name, without giving thing, the worries and the concerns any more power, yeah. you just say jibba-jabba to release and shaking is known to be a practice that helps to relieve stress, to relieve anxiety. And so it's a practice that you can do when you feel like you're getting overwhelmed, right? When you feel like something is coming up, maybe you can't give a name or voice to it, but you can with this practice of Jibba Jabba. Yeah. The reason that one spoke to me so much is in this two, three month initiation portal and going into areas of really deep ego death. That, I mean, that was just one, one thread on the spider web of, for me, but what got elicited through many of the threads in the web was me experiencing for the first time, and I'm talking probably decades, my mind going into this like obsessive rumination. And I'm like, whoa, Wow, like being witness to that because I have not been there for so long. And I'm like, ooh, we're excavating some really old, deep stuff if I'm getting into this. And so, yeah, I've been really beautifully allowing myself to get led into different therapeutic modalities and doing different types of work to healthily be 
with that space. And so I remember when I came across the jibba jabba in the book, I felt like for where the rumination was going, I was like, wow, I felt like that could be supportive for me. And also how animals too, right? You know, when they have a traumatic event, they just, they shake. They shake. Yeah, yeah, they know intuitively, they shake it off and move on. <laughs> mm -hmm. yeah. yeah. And so we'll get to the closing ritual, but just so everyone knows, there are so many different practices, ancestor work, doing ancestor altars. I mean, I have also been so deeply in that space. So that one also spoke to me deeply. And I also just loved this quote. I think it was on page 67. It said, a forgiving heart knows the art of liberation. Mm. Yeah, that's a quote from John O'Donohue. And I really feel that that's true. And it doesn't mean that everybody deserves your forgiveness. It also doesn't mean that the person needs to be even in this body anymore if you choose to do a forgiveness practice. We first need to start with self-forgiveness. And then that opens the portal to all the other things that might be available for us and we'll know. But self-forgiveness is really, really important. And I, I, that was a lesson that I had to learn, being in a relationship that didn't work out where I felt like I was not being held in the highest regard. I needed to forgive myself. Like, why did I allow someone not to hold me in the highest regard? Mm -hmm. What was it about me that let that happen, that called that in? And I need to forgive myself for that. If we go down the road of self-forgiveness, there's so many things that we can start to forgive ourselves for that will create more freedom and more liberation for us. Mm-hmm, aho. Okay, wow, yeah, this is one of those classics where I'm like, we need part two, part three, to cover any part of all these notes that I had here, but this was such a beautiful journey. If you can let folks know where to connect with you and both your books, Radiant Rest and The Luminous Self, and then I'll let you take it from there to close us out with the practice. Yeah. So you can reach me at Tracy with two E's, stanley.com. And all of the books are on my website. You can also find me on Instagram at, at Tracy underscore Stanley and connect there. And I'm thinking that I'm going to share the embracing transitions practice just because we've been talking about that. And this idea of reclaiming ourselves is a true transition. But yet transition is one of the things that we resist the most. We resist change the most. We resist the void of the unknown. So we're just going to do this practice. And if it feels comfortable for you, you can either close your eyes or you can just soften your gaze and gaze down towards the floor and just come to a comfortable meditative shape that feels right for your body. And as you do, just begin to notice the natural flow of the breath. So notice the body inhaling and feel the breath as it moves in through the nostrils, moves across the roof of the nose, and moves into the lungs. Begin to notice the impulse to exhale and feel and sense the breath as it moves out of the nostrils to a space outside of the body. Continue to feel the breath moving in and out. 
and just follow the path of the breath as you perhaps even also feel the body begin to soften. So perhaps you notice the forehead softening, the cheeks and the jaw, and the throat and the shoulders soften. And just begin to remember that there is nothing that you need to do or to earn to receive this birthright of your breath. And just begin to notice that the breath actually arrives before it even touches the nostrils. So perhaps you feel that the breath is arriving from six inches below the nostrils moving in to the nostrils, riding across the roof of the nose, and moving into the lungs where the breath dissolves. Notice the pause between the inhale and the exhale, and the impulse to breathe out, and feel that breath moving out through the nostrils, beyond the nostrils, into the space outside of the body where the breath dissolves. Feel yourself now receiving the next inhale and following the path, noticing the space between the inhale and the exhale, following the exhale out and noticing the pause between the exhale and the inhale. Over the next 10 breaths, just begin to notice only the pauses, the space, the void between the breaths. And as you notice the space between the breaths, begin to soften and surrender into that space. Just 10 breaths on your own, just noticing and allowing a softening to happen in the spaces in between the breaths. As you complete the next five breaths, just notice if there's any tension or constriction in the body that you can soften and release. Softening into the spaces in between. Each one of these spaces is like a void, like a portal to more knowing, more truth, more love.
And when you feel ready, you can begin to deepen the breath and just briskly, if it feels okay for you, begin to rub the hands until you feel heat coming between the hands, place the hands, the palms over the eyes. And just inhale, feel as though you're drawing this energy, this warmth from the hands in through the eyes. Feel it moving into the brain and sense it as a blue-gray light, a cooling, healing blue-gray light in the brain. Just beginning to map out through the entire nervous system as you exhale from the top of the head to the tip of the toes. And when you feel ready, please place your hands somewhere on your own body and inhale that warmth into the body and just feel this as an anointing, an honoring or a blessing. And if there is a prayer that you want to say for yourself, offer it now. Remember that you are a healing force, that you are a luminous force. And then turn your palms of your hands out away from your body towards the world and offer a prayer for the world. Feel the energy as it moves in the hands. Remember who you are. Remember who you are. Remember who you are. Thank you so much. Oh my goodness. That was such a healing journey for me. Thank you for facilitating that, Tracy. Thank you. Thank you for the space to do so. Mm. I hope you have a beautiful retreat as I think you said it begins tomorrow so I hope you guys have so much fun and yeah joy and connection and a loving safe space to connect and do whatever is meant for all of you to do and yeah we'll put all of your information in the show notes for folks to find you ah so thank you again for joining us Thank you so much for having me, Allison. I really appreciate you. Likewise, and thank you to the Soul Fam, and we will sit together again next time. Woo-wee! What a powerful voyage that was. It is always so fun and such an honor to share space with these beautiful beings willing to generously share their time, wisdom, and energy so we can have the opportunity to enrich our own lives. And we will always share each epic guest's links and contact info in the show notes that are on my website, alisoncharles.com, and also in my weekly Ceremony Circle podcast Instagram posts at I am Allison Charles, so it makes it easy for you to connect more deeply with them. 
And fam, you know by now all the heart I put into creating this show. And I would love to be able to continue providing this free content for a long, long time to come. And what would be most supportive in me being able to do that is if you have ever felt you've gained anything positive at all from listening to a Ceremony Circle podcast episode, if it's brightened your day, if it's given you clarity or insights you've been waiting for, if you felt a healing shift during one of the closing ceremony practices, anything at all, If you can just stay on whatever platform you're now listening to this show and simply go to the rating and review section and share even one reason why you're grateful for Ceremony Circle Podcast. Sacred reciprocity is a big deal and I deeply appreciate you giving back to me so I can keep creating and providing. Sending you so much love. This podcast is for information and entertainment purposes only, and my intention is not to provide medical advice or diagnosis. You should always consult a health professional before making drastic changes to your diet or lifestyle.